Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land. And our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Our Missouri spring turkey season is history, and it goes down in the record books as one of the lowest kills that we've had in quite a long time. A total of 34,593 birds were killed during the three-week season. 31,798 of those birds were killed in the regular turkey season. Franklin County led with 710 birds. Texas was 666, and Callaway came in at third place with 639 turkeys killed. The youth season uh, contributed 2,795 birds to the overall kill. But the spring harvest is down, and the decline is blamed on the lack of turkey hunters. Participation, in other words, and that word came from MDC turkey biologist Rena Tyl, T-Y-L. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Tina, but there were an estimated 317,000 turkeys in the state of Missouri prior to the turkey season, but 31,798 birds, that's dramatically down from the peak of around 65,000 birds that were killed back in the 1980s in one season. So turkey hunters are concerned in the state of Missouri, but not only in Missouri, but across the nation, because turkey numbers have been declining at a steady pace over the last 15 years or so. So what's causing this big decline? Boy, that's a big topic of controversy, particularly in Missouri, where Missouri used to be one of the top five and in some cases, a lot of people thought the top state in the nation for spring turkey hunting. But that's not the case anymore, according to some outdoor writers. And uh, some say we're not even in the top 10 anymore. But what's going on out there? Well, uh, lots of uh, armchair biologists, you know, like to say that they contribute to decline in our turkey population to one thing or another. But in truth, there's probably a lot of factors that contribute to this decline. And one of the biggest things that are talked about among the Missouri turkey hunters is, of course, the uh, predator situation. Uh, nobody traps anymore. Furs aren't worth anything, so the prices are way down. So trapping is practically non-existence for major turkey predators, including bobcats, coyotes, foxes, raccoons, are big uh destroyer of turkey nests and so there's there's practically nobody taking care of the predators anymore habitat is always a big issue and biologists across the country are pointing fingers at aging forests they're not open enough with the low growing uh, shrubs and grasses that turkeys often need for nesting habitat but who knows what the real 
uh, total cause is, but there's a number of research projects going on, and it'll probably take years to complete those. But in the meantime, as turkey hunters, we keep scratching our heads and pointing fingers and wondering what is going to happen. Uh, will we see any changes in regulations? Uh, we've seen them in some states, but we've not seen any change in regulations in the state of Missouri yet. But that's not to say it won't happen. So let's keep watching and keep hoping and doing our part to help the wild turkey in the state of Missouri. But for the brunt of the program today, I want to talk about uh, hunting and public policy. I spent some time this morning with Jim Shepard. He's a great individual who's had a number of wires that he publishes every day, five days a week. Among those are the huntingwire.com, the outdoorwire.com, the fishingwire.com, the golfwire.com, and a number of others. But every day, one of the first things I do is grab a cup of coffee and sit down with my laptop and begin to look at what Jim has posted on his wires for the day. And they're full of great information. And you can get them, too. It's a great place to advertise as well. But uh Today, I got his permission this morning to use some of his material on on the podcast, and because it's always such up-to-date material and really good and fresh uh, material, but there's a Voice of Leadership panel that has been formed in the the country, and today's uh, discussion comes from that panel, but the particular news that I'm reading was written by Cyrus Baird, Manager of Government Relations for Safari Club International. And he says, speaking to sportsmen and women, they are acutely aware of trends and patterns around them compared to other segments of the population. From patterning a big buck during the peak of the rut or tracking trends in the weather and migration routes for migratory waterfowl, a successful hunter is one that can pick up on these common occurrences and then act on them. As the calendar year flipped from 2020 to 2021, and hunters around the country closed out and reflected on their hunting seasons, there's another area that hunters should be patterning if they want to have a successful season next year, and that is the public policy arena. We are all aware of some things that are going on in our outdoor world. A lot of them have to do with anti-gun issues, and we have to be up-to-date and concerned about these developments but public policy can have a tremendous impact on hunting from bills that expand hunting access and promote or enhance conservation funding to legislation to ban common forms of hunting styles and ban the hunting of certain game species hunters should pay just as much attention to their local state and federal elected officials as they should that uh, big cold front during the rut so, hey, keep up with your politicians and how they're voting on conservation if, issues. If you were not able to follow along through the first 100-plus days of 2021 and key in on certain themes and patterns, here's a quick rundown of the state capitals in Washington, D.C. On the anti-hunting front, on January 26, California State Senator Scott Weiner Boy, that's fitting, and those are my words. He introduced legislation, uh, Senate Bill 252, to completely ban bear hunting statewide. Senator Weiner did not mince words with his announcement in introducing this legislation. He is attempting to ban legal, regulated bear hunting in California. It's time we stop this 
inhumane practice once and for all, he said. And Winter's official press release <clears throat> lists the Humane Society of the United States and as, as an official sponsor and supporter of the legislation. Weiner falsely claimed in his press release that recreational hunting of black bears in California has led to a decrease in population when, in fact, northeastern California has seen an increase in black bear abundance for over the last 25 years. The statewide population in California is estimated to be well over 30,000 bears. This population growth has led to increased human-wildlife conflicts and some public safety issues. Soon after its introductions, news of the bill began circulating on social media and spread like a digital wildfire throughout the hunting community. The ensuing days saw a wave of scientific and fact-based advocacy roll through the state, eventually washing away the legislative mud that Senator Weiner and the Humane Society of the United States were throwing at both hunters and the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Less than a week after it was originally introduced and after increased outreach and direct lobbying from groups like Safari Club International, the bill was quietly withdrawn from Wiener. In Connecticut, Senate Bill 925 is a reintroduction of a bill pushed by Senator Majority Leader Bob Duff that is seeking to ban the import and possession of commonly hunted game species from Africa. While hunters who have no plans to add hunting in Africa on their bucket list might think this bill doesn't impact them, the underlying theme of the bill is inherently anti-hunting and should concern anyone who values science-based wildlife management. For one, this legislation would preempt the Federal Endangered Species Act. A similar argument groups like Safari Club International have argued to state legislatures in the past, including to California lawmakers regarding the iconic African Species Protection Act in California in 2020, a bill that was successfully and thankfully defeated. Contrary to representations by the bill supporters, the species listed in the bill are healthiest in the very countries where they are hunted and subject to lawful international trade. It is documented fact that the world's largest populations of African elephant, leopard, lion, black and white rhino, and giraffe inhabit Botswana, Mozambique, Namibia, South Africa, Tanzania, Zambia, and Zimbabwe, the countries with regulated hunting programs that generate income and other incentives and result in more secure habitat and lower rates of poaching. In addition, these countries have developed successful conservation programs to encourage the rural communities who live side by side with wildlife to invest and protect these species instead of competing with them. A predator contest across the country. Another common theme in the early months of 2021 is one that has been gained national momentum in recent years. That's predator hunting, more specifically predator hunting contest. In the last 12 months, a number of state legislatures have considered bills to ban the participation in or promotion of contests that have the goal of killing the highest number of 
or largest animal of certain predator species. Spearheaded again by the Humane Society of the United States and Project Coyote, several bills have already passed in some fashion, including in Maryland, Vermont, and New Mexico, while other state and fish and wildlife agencies, including Colorado, Virginia, and Massachusetts, have considered regulatory measures to push by anti-hunting advocates. California was the first to prohibit these killing contests, instituting a ban in 2014. Anti-hunting advocates typically argue that these contests undermine wildlife management, violate hunting ethics, and even put threatened or endangered wildlife species in peril. It is worth stressing that hunting contests follow all applicable local, state, and federal rules and regulations set forth by wildlife agencies and can serve as a useful tool in wildlife management and prevent predator-human conflict and even predator-livestock conflicts. How about the 30 by 30 plan? Before the Biden administration even stepped foot into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the concept of large-scale land conservation and protection was something campaign officials touted to help win over conservation-minded voters. Dubbed 30 by 30, the idea at its core is a simple one, aimed to protect 30% of the United States' lands and waters before the year 2030. But the first 100 days of the new presidential administration has left hunters with more questions than answers. Top of the list of those questions is simply, will hunters have a seat at the table when these conversations are had and plans are rolled out? As hunters, we know that we are the original conservationists, and we have continually supported efforts to conserve our nation's wildlife and wild places for more than a century. But if hunting is not involved in the discussions, will large tracts of land be put under lock and key to access uh, to access an outdoor recreation in the name of protecting biodiversity? Organizations like the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, Safari Club International, among others, have drawn a proverbial line in the sand on this issue, drafting a resolution expressing support for the overall idea of 3030, with the caveat including the recognition of the positive role that hunting and fishing play in conservations. Question on the details of 3030 became a common theme from senators during the confirmation process of Interior Secretary Deb Holland and Deputy Secretary nominee Tommy Bordeaux. In those hearings, little was offered up in the way of a detailed plan on what classifies as conserved lands or the underlying goal of the initiative. Constitutional right to hunt. As hunters across the country continue to face attacks from anti-hunting groups, more and more state legislatures are looking to further enshrine increased protections and rights to hunt, fish, and trap in their state constitutions. That's good news. Currently, there are more than 20 states that have constitutional protections, including the most recently Utah in 2020. In 2021, a handful of state legislatures introduced constitutional rights to hunt bills, including Missouri, Montana, New Mexico, New York, and Iowa. In Montana, House Bill 367, introduced by Representative Paul Fielder, cleared the Montana House by a wide margin, 68 to 32. 
due before ultimately failing to garner enough support to clear the two-thirds majority threshold needed from both chambers to place it on the ballot in 2022. To move forward, Montana hunters will need to gather enough signatures required to place the constitutional amendment on the ballot through a citizen-led initiative, a very costly and time-consuming route. In Missouri, several bed bills were filed in both chambers at the beginning of their legislative sessions. After some consolidation and language tweaks, House Joint Resolution 23, introduced by Representative John Black, a Republican, emerged as a clear favorite. After clearing the House 125-18 and passing through a Senate committee, it now awaits a full four vote before it will be placed on the ballot in 2022 for Missouri residents to prove in an up or down vote. A Missourians uh, get out and support this bill. How about non-resident versus resident? An, a rather unusual theme that dealt, developed out of the first 100 days of 2021 was the fight over big game tag allocations in western states pitting residents of of versus non-resident hunters, a topic that has been brewing within the Western hunting community for years, finally boiled over into several bills in places like Montana, Colorado, New Mexico, and Wyoming being introduced, seeking to limit the number of tags offered to non-resident big-game hunters. In New Mexico, lawmakers debated Senate Bill 312, legislation that would have increased the minimum percentage of draw licenses for big game that must be issued to New Mexico residents from 84 to 90 percent. It would have also eliminated a provision requiring 10 percent of license be certified for hunters who use a guide or outfitter. As a result, around a thousand more tags would have been available for state residents, while at the same time decreasing the number of tags provided to the guides and outfitters community. The bill was ultimately failed to get out uh, of its first committee after it was introduced on February 1st, due in large part to the guide and outfitting community's efforts. In Colorado, Senator Senate Bill 21150 induced uh, on March 1st would permit the Division of Parks and Wildlife from awarding more than one-third of big-game hunting license to non-residents in a limited license draw, but would not only apply to leftover tags. The bill was postponed indefinitely in the state uh, Senate Committee on Agriculture and Natural Resources later in March, but not before making its round in the hunting circuits in Colorado and elsewhere across the West. Finally, in Wyoming, Senate file number SFO-103 aimed to cut the non-resident tag allocation for big game licenses to less than 10% from the historic norms of around 20%, depending on the species, while at the same time increasing the price of non-resident big game tags by as much as 76% of their current price. The bill died a quick death in committee shortly after being induced in early March. These bills proved to be a lightning rod for online commentary from the hunting community with both sides represented. Non-resident hunters provide a massive economic boom to state and fish and wildlife agencies and local communities as well. In Wyoming, non-residents account for over 75% of the total license revenue the state agency brings in on a yearly basis. Decreasing non-resident tags would likely leave a large financial hole in the agency. In New Mexico, the loss of a 1,000 tags may not seem like a big deal, but the guide and outfitter community were quick to point out that the challenge could likely cost the state over $4 million in outfitter revenue 
and 500000 in direct license fee revenue annually to the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish. At the same time, some resident hunters feel that they've been sold out by their state fish and wildlife agencies, passed over in lieu of their non-resident counterparts. Hey, this wrap-up for the first 100 days isn't much uh, to be a comprehensive list uh, of bills that impact sportsmen and women across the country. Instead, it's meant to illustrate common themes of bills around the country that hunters should be engaged in. And I can uh, ensure you that all of us here at the Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, the Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast, and the Living the Dream Outdoors TV show are in support of the best conservation measures across the country. But our, because our theme here is it's not just land it's a lifestyle, and we are living the dream. We hope that you will do that, too. I'm Bill Cooper. The Living the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Cowtown USA, Alps Outdoors, Cardiac Mountain Outfitters, The Fly Rod Journals, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, and Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm. We live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast, as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.